Welcome to the Meta Perspectives Podcast, a meta radio broadcast, a podcast talking about shit, meta shit. Let's get into it. Do you believe it's morning? I'm alive, but that's the last thing on my mind. Do you believe it's morning? I'm all right, let's get this going. Uh, welcome to Central Line to the Meta Radio Podcast. Thank you, Pete. Nice to be here. Tell us about SourceCred. Okay. SourceCred is, uh, I guess you could say SourceCred is a decentralized coordination mechanism. At its heart, you know, we're trying to build the system that allows you to distribute tokens within these, these crypto communities in a decentralized way. That's kind of the product. But the vision is a lot bigger than that. And I think it's a vision that aligns very well with metagame. Uh, we're essentially trying to create a new way for people to organize economically. One that isn't based on like upfront transactions where it's like, oh, you know, I'll give you this if you promise to give me that. Because lots of things like the the results play out on a really long-term time frame, And they aren't things that you can quite transact for. You know, how can you transact for clean air? How can you transact for good education? How can you transact? It's even hard to transact for things as simple as good code. Because if you try to just pay someone up front, maybe they'll just try to rush to meet your spec. And you really want someone who will stay around in the long term and care about the long term outcomes. Uh, and so SourceCred is creating an economic model where you can get rewarded based on the gratitude and the long term value of the work you did and not based on an upfront transaction. Sounds awesome. How did you get to it? Well, I've been, I've been kind of thinking about this for a long time. Uh, I remember back in 2013 was when I first started coding and I first got into open source. And I mean, it was like, wow, this is so revolutionary, you know, that rather than trying to charge people for the software, you just give it away for free and let anyone use it. Like in a certain sense, I think it's an obviously better model. It's better for humanity. It's better for collaborators. And the problem is it doesn't work very well in the existing world of money, right? And so I've been, I've been thinking for a long time about how to build trust networks and reputation networks where you could just go based on someone's reputation and what they've done you know, for you and for your community rather than on, on something as simple as money. So back in 2015, when I learned about the PageRank algorithm, I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, maybe we could create a startup that would be about creating this global PageRank instance where everyone can see who they trust and they'd have like better reputation and be able to form better relationships and collaborations. But I was kind of thinking about doing this as a, as a corporation because that was what I knew. You know, I knew startups. I was living and working in Silicon Valley. And I realized that to have some private company controlling your global trust network would quickly become some sort of black mirror dystopia. And so I put that idea to rest for a while. And then it was a few years later still in 2018. And I was at the time doing machine learning research at Google Brain. But I'd gotten really bored of it. And I'd gotten kind of jaded about trying to help Google, this like massive corporation, become even more powerful by having better and better machine learning tools. And I was hanging out with my friend Juan Benet, uh, who's the founder and CEO of Protocol Labs. And he was talking to me about how he really wanted to be able to give Filecoin, uh, the token, to not just everyone who's involved in Filecoin development, but everyone who's involved in IPFS development and everyone who's involved in building the open source ecosystem that Filecoin and IPFS are built on top of. And we were kind of brainstorming how you could do this. And the problem was that 
you know, if you want to pay by based on the number of commits, you want to pay based on the number of pull requests, pay on GitHub issues, like all of the simple approaches get exploited really quickly because, you know, I could just take, I could make a thousand commits that all just fix one individual typo and then get a ton of file coin. Like that's not a viable incentive system. And I kind of had this flash of insight where I realized that all of this reputation network stuff that I'd been thinking of, that if we were to launch as a Silicon Valley startup would be super dystopian. We could instead launch as a sort of neutral open source crypto protocol and deploy it towards the very specific task of enabling crypto communities and enabling DAOs to be able to pay all of their contributors and then fund the open source ecosystem and kind of grow from there. So that was the, the starting point for SourceCred. And I like resolved pretty much within three days to quit Google and just get, get started with coding it. Awesome. That sounds great. And they were like, okay, that sounds fucking awesome. We are going to fund it. That was it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, interestingly enough, actually, it was both Protocol Labs and Google wanted to fund it. I wasn't meaning to ask Google to fund it because I figured, you know, this is like some weird crypto open source thing. It's better outside of Google. But my, I guess at that point, he was my manager's manager's manager. And my like triple boss, however you want to say, was Jeff Dean, who's this very kind of famous systems engineer and also deeply beloved within Google. There's all of these memes about him, you know, like compilers don't warn Jeff Dean. Jeff Dean warns compilers or Jeff Dean writes in assembly and then produces C++ as documentation, you know, that kind of stuff. But I, I, I went over to his desk because, you know, he and I had had a good working relationship and I was like, Hey Jeff, I'm about to leave Google. I'm going to go do this weird, like crypto thing. Like it's been super cool, like working with you. And he was like, hold up, wait, 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 tell me about this, this weird crypto thing. And this was like. This was February 2018, so it was like a little bit after like the major ICO rush, but things were still, it was still kind of hot. And he wound up really wanting me to just like launch SourceCred inside of Google as like a Google project. And I spent a solid like week like kind of thinking about that because it would have been really convenient in some respects. I would have been able to keep my job at Google. Uh, a lot of the people who I wanted to collaborate with were Googlers. And so it would have been really easy to like spin up a great team for SourceCred inside of Google. But I did a bunch of soul searching and I realized hmm, having this like revolutionary, like post corporate economic project being like owned by Google would just be too big a mistake and be really like a bad foundation to start from. And so then I, I quit Google and just got sponsorship from Protocol Labs instead, which has proved to be, I think, a great decision. Protocol Labs has been a really good sponsor for SourceCred. Yeah, like even though it's open source, it would still be weird that it's from Google. I wouldn't see it in yeah, the same so. way. What drove you to the whole crypto slash DAO side of things? Like, which came first, like this idea for SourceCred and how it could be enabled, or the realization of like how this could align with DAOs and sort of like the open source community within the crypto ecosystem? I've been interested in crypto for a long time. I first got into crypto in my college days. So back in, I want to say 2012 was probably when I first bought Bitcoin. And that was because I was, I was interested in using it on the darknet. You know, Silk Road brought me into Bitcoin, which I think was true for a lot of people. And then when, when Ethereum came out, when Ethereum, I remember I, I learned about Ethereum pretty early on. And I actually, actually met Vitalik and like drove him. He was staying at the house where I lived at. He spent a night or two there, which was also where I met like Juan and Aliyaya. We were all living together uh, in this house in California. 
And I thought Ethereum was so brilliant. Uh, I just loved the idea of like a Turing computable financial system. But when I would go to the crypto meetups and I would go to like Ethereum meetups and stuff and I'd talk to people, I was just like, oh my God, all these people are like, like insane and like not the good kind of insane. They were just like, there were a lot of like people with like weird beliefs and like kind of crazy and like a lot of people who I didn't think were like very technically credible, you know? There was a lot of cargo culting going on in the crypto space. And so it's kind of like, eh, I don't know. Like, I, this is super interesting, but I don't know about the space. And I kind of took a step back. And then I went and joined Google and I really enjoyed like just the quality of people I was working with and like the technical problems. But around 2017, as the ICO bubble was happening again, there was this whole other side, side story where I, I had bought uh, a 10,000 Ether wallet during the initial Ethereum crowd sale. And then due to bad, I, I just lost, I lost the encryption key to my Ethereum wallet. And that really just pissed me off and left me super butthurt that I had this like multi-million dollar ETH wallet that I could just no longer access. And that, that butthurt kind of kept me away from crypto for a while because I just hated thinking about it because I hated thinking about how dumb I had been to lose my wallet password. But then in 2017, I kind of got over being mad that I'd lost my wallet. And I was seeing all of this cool stuff happening in the crypto space. And I was starting to read the white papers and just loving them. Like I remember I dove super into the Augur white paper because I think it's got a brilliant economic setup. I had been following MakerDAO for years and I have lots of thoughts on like that, that experiment. And so by the time that I had the idea for SourceCred, I'd already been like kind of wanting to get back into crypto because it's just so interesting. Like it's such an intersection of like computer science and economics and philosophy. And it has the potential to be a revolutionary project rather than one that's just like making the the existing power structures more powerful. So I was, I was definitely already into crypto. And that was why I had gone over to Juan's place to hang out with him and chat about stuff. And then hanging out with him led to, uh, to SourceCred. Quite a, quite a background story. It's such a natural fit, SourceCred and crypto. Yeah, I think so. Crypto is like the perfect uh test case for the technology you know i think in principle there's nothing about source cred that really like necessitates crypto right like it's it's not really a crypto project right now it's just algorithms written in javascript we're not currently connected to any blockchains you know there's nothing there's there's no actual cryptography in source cred but i think that the the crypto community is just such like a perfect group of early adopters that are seeing this problem of like the existing economic models don't work in particular that they, they break down when they meet open source and crypto people are really like vision aligned like i think that there's this this kind of shared sense of like the world we're trying to build towards in like web3 in metagame hamada i know it's something you and i have talked about a lot and peeth i've seen a lot of it reading your writings and like reading the vision of metagame so I think it's just like a really powerful mix of like, like the crypto world has the right needs to like dog food this technology. And we're all really pushing towards like a shared kind of like vision of how we want the world to change. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting, right? Like it's, it's echoes of the same message happening in different places. And, you know, you, you think that like, it's the only place that it's happening, but then you find out that other people in other spaces are also thinking about the same things in the same ways. And just this, this culture of open source, I think is really, really powerful. And it enables things that, you know, you can never really accomplish as a startup, like you mentioned before. 
so yeah i guess i would say what what was the struggles kind of trying to grow source cred as a non-startup because it for me the way i see source cred and how it runs is like it's not using a DAO framework but it is a DAO essentially and that's how you've kind of envisioned it how did you kind of come up with the organizational structure of source cred and how things are you know sort of going to be operating and how you bring on contributors and how you cultivate that sort of culture and educate these people on these like this new way of doing things because people still have like that idea in their head of like oh you know i apply for a job they look at my resume i do this thing like what what's different about source cred and how how did you come up with that mechanism i guess so i'll start with just some some framing you know, I've worked on a number of open source projects, which when I say work, I really mean like I've been paid to work on a number of open source projects. And so I've kind of seen a particular model of corporate open source upfront. So as an example, when I was at Google, I was one of the authors of TensorFlow, which is this open source machine learning framework. And it would have been kind of natural, you know, with Protocol, Protocol Labs is a company that kind of strategically sets up a lot of those, what I would call like corporate sponsored open source. So if you look at IPFS, if you look at Filecoin, these are open source projects where the core developers are all getting paid uh, full-time, like they have regular jobs to work on this technology. And I feel like this, this kind of like corporate employment model of open source has got some pretty serious flaws it tends to create weird communication networks because you've got, oh, geez, my phone heard me talk. Somehow Siri heard me talking about corporate open source and was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I, I want to I name <laughs> this conversation too. <laughs> so yeah, corporate open source, it, it, just, it just doesn't feel like true open source at a point in some ways because all of the insiders are like talking on their own private corporate Slack or corporate email list. And they've got their own like private corporate OKRs or whatever. And I kind of didn't want to go down that model. And so with SourceCred, it started with just me and William Chargan, who is a, a dear friend of mine and also an extraordinarily talented engineer. And we were both kind of being like paid by protocol labs. And he just kind of hacked away like day in, day out together, building the core infrastructure of SourceCred. And then William left the project to go back to Google, which had kind of always been his plan. He had like deferred a Google offer letter for a couple of months to, to hack with me on setting up SourceCred. And there was a while where the project was kind of adrift. There wasn't much community for SourceCred. People, some people had heard of it, but no one was using it. And I kind of had this prototype where we could run SourceCred on a GitHub project and like show people scores. And I'd go to different projects, you know, I'd go to like, IPFS, I went to MetaMask and people would be like, oh yeah, yeah, these scores are cool. Yeah, that's a cool, cool, cool thing you got there. And then there'd be no further engagement, right? So there'd be, it wouldn't be clear where to go next. And I was kind of thinking at that point, I was just a one person operation with SourceGrad and I felt like I didn't have a ton of traction. And I was tempted to just try to hire to fix the problem, you know, just like have protocol labs, like hire another engineer to work with me on SourceGrad. And it didn't, really work out. I'm not very good at hiring. I don't have a ton of experience like running a hiring process, like going through resumes and stuff. So uh, I didn't do a good job of like running that process, which I think was actually really good in retrospect, because I would have been just going down that path of turning source cred more and more into one of these like really like like 
corporate sponsored open source projects where the only reason people work on it or the main group of people working on it are actually being like employees of a company to do so. And so what, what really was the kind of breakthrough, and there's actually someone named Anna Noemi who deserves a fair bit of credit for this because she, it was in conversation with her as she like helped me see this path. The breakthrough was just realizing that rather than trying to grow source cred by getting other projects to adopt it. So rather than trying to find like an IPFS or a metagame or a, a metamask to like start using it, we should just make source cred as real as possible for source cred itself, go deep before going wide. And so what I focused on then was just on getting source cred to the point where we could start flowing money and flowing grain through source cred every week to everyone participating in source cred. And I think that that really, that in a, there's a certain sense in which that marked the birth of source cred. Like if source cred started as a seed and like as a like sproutling trying to like push its leaves up through the earth, me and William like working together in Palo Alto was like creating the seed, but it was once source cred started using its own algorithm to pay everyone involved in source cred that we've had that first like leaf unfurl into the sunlight. And I think from that starting point, things have grown really organically. I think that for a lot of people just seeing that they were getting paid by, by source cred and like, for example, Hamad, you've got a fair amount, I think of grain now in source cred, it kind of made source cred seem real to folks and it kind of gave them permission to like start prioritizing it not just as some like like oh you know i might work on this a couple hours a week because it's kind of cool but more towards something they could focus on full time as for the kind of social structure and the community like i don't think i'm i'm definitely not like an expert in setting up communities of any sort i think that for example i've like learned a lot from metagame because i was so impressed to see metagame like appear out of nowhere and then it was like Inside of like two weeks, Metagame had more activity and more like community engagement than SourceCrowd had had after two years. So I was like, whoa, what are these kids going doing right? It clearly involves memes. Like I should up my meme game. <laughs> but but lately, uh, LB, uh, who's a, a sort of someone who's been in the SourceCrowd sphere since nearly, since basically its inception, LB has kind of stepped up to like be the person who's really thinking about how to grow the SourceCrowd community and how to like set up good norms and how to like cultivate uh, a healthy community. So I'm really glad to have them thinking about it. So I can stick to things like crypto economics and algorithms that I'm a little bit better at. That's awesome. So it, it kind of grew organically, not through the hiring processes it would have been if you went the corporate way. Yeah, exactly. And I, I love that it's growing organically. You know, I just feel, I feel like the project has got so much more vitality and robustness, you know, and like knowing that like, like a lot of these corporate supported open source projects, like if the CEO of the company sponsoring it is being like, eh, we're kind of like, we're done here. We're not going to like keep on hiring or like investing in it. Then it's so hard for the open source project to survive without the corporate sponsor, because it's not just the contributors, but the whole knowledge network that the contributors were engaged in was like owned by and controlled by and lives or dies at the behest of that corporation. Whereas with source cred, you know, if, if if tomorrow protocol labs were to be like, yep, we don't believe in this anymore, we're like moving on, you know, it would be disruptive. But all we would need to do is just find a different source of funding to plug into the the system and the existing knowledge network and the existing like patterns of contribution would keep on going without a huge um, disruption. 
I think that's what really people don't understand outside of the Web3 space or like the kind of like trap card that we have in like metagame and everything else going on here is like the idea that empowering others and giving others ownership enables you to do so much more than trying to take more ownership for yourself. And like it never even like occurs to people. And like it's almost as if we've been kind of programmed in a way to think of like our ideas as our own and for us to like, you know, we have to sort of do it the way that this has been done. But the the fact that we now have the tools to be able to empower others to do to create value, it it makes it so much easier for us to kind of get way further along that idea of like, you know, the tide raises all the boats. And yeah, definitely too. I think, you know, if you had previous hiring experience or you did all these things, you wouldn't have came you you wouldn't have come up with this way of doing it because you had that previous contact. So people coming in who are new to the space, they often have like the best ideas and the best insights and, you know, inexperience in today's world is actually like an advantage. And that's why I think like, you know, so much of this stuff is going to be driven by the younger generation who have, you know, that neuroplasticity to think of things in radically different ways and don't have that sort of baggage of how things work and trying to recreate it in that way. And yeah, I think like the biggest thing we need to like make this happen is empower those types of people, right? And they're they're out there, you know, on the internet, it's the whole internet's like run by memes now. And, you know, the kind of merging these things together is like a super powerful like concoction that you can't compete with you know like no amount of funding can recreate the that sort of like magical community feeling you have when you're able to nurture and grow something where people actually feel they have ownership and they have autonomy and yeah i think like you know the idea of DAOs, source cred really a mechanism to put back the autonomous aspect into DAOs where people can, you know, just show up and create value. And there's a mechanism to sort of recognize and reward that value creation. And I think like that's as humans what we need most, right? Like is recognition. I'm sure you've even seen this happen, but more important than actual money is about people feeling like their contributions are valued or recognized. And I think, you know, source credit is a powerful means of doing even just that, where, you know, at Metagame, we we don't have a lot of funds to actually distribute or funding. But the fact that people feel like their contributions are valued, they feel like they're a part of something, doing something with other people with that shared vision, that's enough to sort of, you know, motivate them to keep driving things forward. I like to think about the question of how will these like crypto communities create we're creating, uh, why and how will they outcompete the existing like kind of old world or web two versions, which say like why will DAOs outcompete startups as an example? Because I, I think you've you've gotta be asking this question of how will we outcompete? Because at the end of the day, the economy is this like highly competitive sphere. And things that that can outcompete will proliferate, and I want these like crypto communities to proliferate. And if you look at the role that capital plays in startups, right? Like these companies that go and like are raising like hundreds of thousands of dollars and then millions of dollars from VCs, 
Uh, and when you raise that money from VCs, you get saddled with this fiduciary responsibility, with this expectation of profit, where you are now obligated to try to create as much profit for your investors as possible. Where I'm, I'm really quite pleased with the fact that SourceCred does not have any VCs. SourceCred doesn't have investors as such. And so there's no one who can come in and say, ah, we're replacing the source cred board because, you know, you're not charging enough and you're giving away all your stuff for free, but you should be like, you know, forcing people to pay you somehow. And, you know, it's great. It's great that we don't have that. But if you look at what, what startups actually do with VC money, they're not buying equipment. They're not buying servers. You know, you can rent that all on AWS and sure you've got to pay for server fees and that's real. But a lot of what they're doing is they're hiring talent, right? You go and find someone and are like, hey, I'll pay you like... You're a great engineer, Hamad. So I'll pay you $150,000 a year to work on SourceCred. And with SourceCred, because you're, you're, you know, with VCs, you have this model where you sell equity to the VC and then you use the cash from the VC to pay the engineer. And SourceCred kind of gives a model where you give the ownership directly to everyone who's bringing human capital to the project. And I think it lets you disintermediate investors to a very large extent. And taking, taking like, you know, the example of like the, the many like talented engineers who have worked on SourceCred, they've all held on to their grain. And so like, come on, you have a fair amount of grain. And like, if it were, if we were in the VC model, we would have had to like sell the ownership in SourceCred through VC and then pay you cash. But as it is, we can just give you grain and you can decide like how much do you want to take out. But if you believe in the project, then maybe you'll say, eh, I want to hold on to this grain. I'll use it for boosting. I'll use it to like kind of further like guide the project. And because I think you know, people people can choose to not take out cash if they don't really need it because they believe in the project. It allows you to have this really like this model for doing development that I think is far more cash and capital efficient than the traditional startup model. Yeah, it's kind of like every once in a while in your life, you have like one of those moments, like the first time you use an iPhone or like the first time you like really understand what Ethereum is and how it works or, you know, I can imagine that being the internet for a lot of people as well. It has that sort of like inspirational moment when like I saw that like, oh, there's, I have like a bunch of grain and I didn't know, I didn't ask for it. I didn't negotiate anything. It just like appeared. And that I think is a really, really powerful vehicle to sort of motivate people and to sort of give them an idea of what this really is. And it's something, you know, I really want to start doing with metagame as well is actually like, you know, give people an opportunity to create value and then give them that like feedback loop of that, hey, you created value. Here's like your reward mechanism. And, you know, it's really just like it's simple as just like human nature, right? Like we have our our built in reward mechanisms in our brains and, you know, games utilize those really effectively to to get us to do stuff. And, you know, I think with SourceCred, too, it's like it is essentially like a, a game you know we're able to gamify and measure value and you know create leaderboards and do all this stuff for things in real life and i think that like aha moment is really gonna drive a lot of people to understand and you know sort of embrace this this new paradigm and yeah like it, in terms of like you know the evolution of the internet and what it was really for right the the first iteration of it was just kind of about sharing information and sharing ideas like you had blogs you had your like myspace or whatever and then the the second iteration of it web 2 if you call it it was about discussing these ideas or like information across boundaries you know where 
it's not only you can share ideas, but you can engage with other people. You can, you know, like, comment, subscribe, you know, create a community. It's a two-way directional thing. But if you look at kind of what's the main criticism of social media today or the main problem of social media today, you know, it's it's really powerful but it's really good. But it's also like kind of messed up too, right? Like you have this whole idea of like people just liking stuff and sharing stuff on Twitter and that sort of triggers that reward mechanism of like they feel like they actually did something and contributed value to society when really they probably didn't. And it ends up creating this culture of just like, you know, like keyboard warriors or like, you know, people who like they're so engaged online and doing stuff, but not actually able to take action. So I think the next evolution of this is enabling people to actually take action across boundaries and do stuff where, you know, instead of just being like, hey, like it or share it or, you know, talk about it, which, you know, in that that's also valuable. But we can take that to the next level where you know, instead of just like liking to support this cause, you can actually like go and directly support this cause and coordinate with other people who are supporting this cause. And, you know, that I think there's a lot of things that are sort of heading in that direction now where social media, this is sort of like the next evolution of social media where, you know, it becomes this like alternate society. You know, it already is sort of like we have like a ghost of ourselves living on the internet And, you know, that is sort of a whole world in and of itself. Like Elon Musk, like recently was talking about, you know, how we're already cyborgs in a way. Our digital lives are pretty much like an extension of our ourselves and enabling like, you know, more than just information transfer, but actual value transfer and getting people to do stuff. That I think is like, it's just like, you know, mind blowing how, how, powerful that can be and it really you know makes it feel like this trajectory of the internet or like the reason the internet was born was for these things to happen where you know we kind of you can't really if you get sort of like that tunnel vision where you think like what we have now this is like the end game or like this is the purpose of it all you then kind of like reevaluate and you realize okay no there's there's more work we have to do this we can take this further and yeah i think it's just super fascinating in that way yeah so Another question I have for you is this, the whole old way of doing things, you know, of like transactional, you know, you hire people, you get paid, all this sort of stuff. Even for me personally, like I can see that, you know, maybe like five years ago, it would have been like sort of like a dream job or like something to like work for a big corporate company. But I feel like even within like mainstream society, that culture is sort of shifting and people are kind of that that idea isn't as appealing anymore and people are looking for something else how do you think we can find those type of people who are looking to do things in a different way they're you know smart people super talented people that you know maybe already are working for you know corporations like you you probably have a lot of experience with that coming from google you know how how do you think googlers feel about the situation of the state of the world how many of them do you think actually would care about something more meaningful, more than just like, you know, if they can work at a big company and earn a lot of money and how can we sort of like reach and activate those people? Well, from my perspective, I think it's like, it's honestly not that easy to get people to come out of Google, you know, I've tried, but I feel like the thing is that Google, it's so comfortable, right? And they're so good at giving you, giving you just like, 
you know, it's not just like the steady paycheck and it's not just the social legibility, but it's also the fact that, you know, they like have all these meals for you. They've got like a really nice system for you. Like, like, I think, I think I'm kind of, uh, rare and being someone who like was on the inside of Google and then was like, nah, I'm actually going to go and like do this weird, like crypto anarchist, like nomad thing. I think a lot of people who get to Google get there because they have been doing like all the right things throughout their life and have been like getting the right kind of resume and the right kind of degree. Cause you know, Google is like a centerpiece of like the system now. So from my perspective, like, I think, I think that our current economic system is, is pretty unfair in the sense among other things that it's like really focused on a lot of things that don't matter. So take, for example, college degrees and like what school you went to. Like Google, Google cares a lot what your GPA was. Google cares a lot what university you went to. And I think that's kind of bullshit for me. Just a lot of the like smartest and like most insightful people that I've met have like not been like, you know, getting like 3.8 GPAs at like top 10 schools. Uh, a lot of them thought school was really boring and frustrating and like went for a year and then dropped out. There's a lot of wasted human talent right now where if you don't have the kind of signifiers that the corporate world cares about, then it just seems like there aren't options for you. And so from my perspective, like right now, it's less about trying to recruit people from inside Google because it's it's hard for us to compete with Google in the kind of like security and the kind of social status and the kind of comfort and convenience. I'm a little bit more inclined to go and find those people who are really like smart and capable, but just the existing system thinks that they're useless because they don't have the right kind of degree or the right kind of social signaling and be like, hey, do you want to like come just work on this instead? Like, you know, it's weird crypto money and it's maybe not as like much of a sure thing as working for a fancy startup, but the fancy startup isn't trying to hire you anyway. And we don't give a shit what school you went to. And we're not going to try to make you do some bullshit like job interview, just like show up and like do some stuff. And if the stuff you do is cool, then you'll get paid and you'll get more responsibility and you can like go and do some more cool stuff. Yeah, for me too, it was like, I had like basically right when I was finishing up my my degree, I had a choice between going full-time at Microsoft as a product manager there, um, or program manager there, or just doing, like continuing doing my freelance work and working on my side projects. And for me, it was like, I had that feeling that if I, if I got into that like comfortable zone, I would get too comfortable and I wouldn't want out. And it would kind of like harm my sort of my self growth or my, the pace at which I was learning and, you know, doing new things. So that kind of led me down to, you know, just continuing on my freelancing path and just, you know, doing all sorts of random stuff until you know now i'm here in metagame and working on source credit and all these things and yeah i think the, at the same time i want to figure out how we can create that level of comfort in this new paradigm right uh peeth i remember too like one of the first things that was like super inspiring for me for metagame is when in our old notion we had this idea of like metafam alignment 2021 where we all will sort of like converge at this like huge villa with like three houses and like you know there's like sun house water house earth house and then each house is like responsible for certain things and there's like you know nearby activities and all this sort of stuff and you know we we sort of create our own mini regenerative village and that was like you know super inspiring to me 
and I feel like there's others too that that's what they that's what really they want you know at the end of the day and there's always that like misalignment between like what we as humans like really really want when you like try to like drill it down and what we sort of do and it's because it's counterintuitive like the thing that you want often requires taking a path that looks like unattractive and the thing that you don't want in the end in terms of like your self happiness or satisfaction is usually like the more attractive path so yeah i think if we can sort of create that culture and you know essentially dog food it and build build that sort of thing that we want for ourselves and then showcase it to the people and then people will naturally want to be a part of that i feel okay just a good enough alternative like you can be comfortable outside the system i think part of that means creating a new system and i think there's there's going to be some real tension for us like like kind of emotionally there'll be, there'll be kind of emotional and cognitive dissonance because as the communities that we're building grow like there's going to be more bureaucracy there's going to be more process because that's kind of necessary for having like larger organizations and so i kind of wonder where we'll land in terms of keeping like like as we start to have to trade off like if if metagame were like 10 times bigger or if source code were 10 times bigger like then you know there'd start to be more hierarchy there'd start to be because i just wouldn't have the time to talk to everyone so i'd be talking to the people who i really like know and trust and there'd be some people who wouldn't have as much access to me like in the context of source cred so i wonder i wonder how we're going to navigate that transition as things start to become a bit more formal yeah definitely whether we die heroes or live long enough to become villains as it goes (laughs) and yeah i think like you know google and facebook were heroes back in 2007 you know and right now they're starting to become more of the villains so right now they're there's gonna out of all this stuff rise up you know hopefully more distributed and more diverse and a larger number of you know heroes that or projects you know that do sort of have an influence and have a kind of a big sort of effect on how things happen moving forward so i guess my question is if SourceCred was going to be the next Google of the Web3 world, what would that look like? And how would we do better than what Google did using the tools that we have now? So I think that there's a really important fundamental difference, which is that since Google is closed source and centralized and it gives them the power to be good or evil, and they also have got a corporate incentive to become, you know, to maximize shareholder return, which pretty much means that they'll eventually be evil, I think. But SourceCred, since it is open source, like I think SourceCred has got a lot less power and that's a good thing. You know, there will still be ethical quandaries, but it's it's easier for people to be like, oh, SourceCred's getting a little evil, like let's fork it or let's just stop using their their default configs or whatnot. And I think that's that's a really good like check and balance to have on SourceCred that doesn't exist on Google. What do you think in this future, what role will investors play? And why and how would investors want to take part in this? Because a big part of it too in the current system is that incentive of, you know, it, at the end of the day, money kind of runs the world right now. And the people who have money will continue to have money for at least the 
you know our lifetimes essentially so right this system is kind of designed to not favor them as much as the older system so i get yeah i guess essentially that what role do you think investors will play um in this new paradigm of a source cred world right so i think there's no question that investors will play a really important role one book i really recommend to people who want to like have a good roadmap for how the crypto like paradigm might get deployed into mainstream economic reality is the book technological revolutions and financial capital by carlota perez but basically in this book carlota perez explores how in the past changing the economic paradigm has required a massive amount of like speculative investment by the holders of capital and it was really interesting for me because you know you look at the past and you look at times when there were big technological shifts stuff like deploying the railway system stuff like deploying the internet in the you know in the 2000s and you often see these investment bubbles and booms you know like the dot com bubble being an example the ico bubble being an example and i used to think that this was just kind of an accident like oh you know it's just how interesting it just so happens that there's this like speculative like investment craze at the same time that people were like doing these technological innovations but yeah so i think i think that there's a sense in which these the presence of investor capital is what allows nascent systems and nascent paradigms to get to the level of scale and investment that they need to outcompete the existing ecology and so if you look at crypto right like these crypto technologies are still super immature they're still super hard to use and they're very poorly integrated with the broader economy right like there's been hundreds of years of regulatory co-evolution between the state and the current economic paradigm there's been hundreds of years of co-evolution in consumer behavior so people all have credit cards nobody has crypto wallets the state has got tons of regulations to make it easy to like handle payroll and taxes if you're a corporation but they make it like cumbersome or just like illegible if you're a crypto community and i think part of the story of how these crypto projects will be able to overcome just that inertia and that momentum that's going in a different direction is the presence of speculative investment capital. You know, you look at like why Ethereum is so big. You look at like why there's money to like run this whole source grad crypto experiment. And a lot of it traces its roots back to ICOs. And that's, that's kind of not surprising because part of what's happening right now, and I think part of what's driving the like anger and political dysfunction in the world right now is that we are at the tail end of a paradigm and because we're at the closing ends of like this this sort of like corporate centralized web paradigm there's just not really good places to put investment and so that's why we're seeing negative interest rates that's why we're seeing like massive like oversupplies of like speculative capital flowing into you know we work and all kinds of other like unprofitable so-called unicorns so I do think that we need to have space for investment capital. And I think that's part of what will allow this space to thrive and to get the development that it needs. But I do also want to negotiate a pretty different kind of power relationship with capital. And in my mind, that's that's really embedded in source credit at the very core, where if you look at a traditional startup, the founders and the VCs basically agree, hey, we're the capitalists. We're going to split up the ownership of this thing. 
And, you know, depending on the amount of leverage the founder has, the founder might be like kind of the senior capitalist or the junior capitalist, you know, some founders do a really good job of maintaining a ton of equity control and some are forced to give it away. But there's a sense in which the founders and the VCs are like on the same side. And then all of the employees are on the other side where the, the holders of capital holders of like shares and ownership are trying to give out the smallest possible slices to employees. So if you're like, you know, the 40th engineer, you know, maybe you, over the course of the next five years, you're going to create as much value as the founder does. Maybe this founder's kind of checked out. That certainly happens. You know, we've got like co-founders who are kind of like involved in the first like year and they kind of drift away and aren't really doing anything useful, but they still wind up with these massive, massive stakes because by the time the employee comes in, they're already done divvying up the pie and now they're just going to distribute crumbs to labor, crumbs to the employees. And source credit's got a very different assumption where it says, okay, fundamentally, we're going to use the exact same system for rewarding everyone, whether it was the founder or whether it was, you know, the 10th or 100th or 1,000th contributor. And like, you know, Hamad, you joined SourceCred like two years after I started it, but you and I are still getting rewarded on the exact same system. Anyone can go and look at the grain balances for SourceCred. And I think that it's massively less unequal than it would be if we were doing some kind of like traditional startup system. But what's even more radical is that the, the capitalists weren't even at the table at all to begin with, right? There's no capitalist who's like, okay, you know, by default, I'll have like 90% of the grain, but then we'll like reserve 10% of the grain to like give out to like contributors and source grid. And it's, it's actually the reverse where we do have a system where people who are just providing capital can get rewarded. And we call that the sponsorship system, but it's set up to kind of bias in favor of the contributors, in favor of the human capital. So right now, there are a couple of people who are sponsored by Protocol Labs, where PL kind of gives you an assurance of having enough like income to focus on the project. And in exchange, you give a share of your cred to Protocol Labs, but that share of cred is 20%. So if you're getting paid to work on source cred, you still keep 80% of your cred. And I think that that for me reflects the fact that like capital is actually a lot more abundant than talent right now. It's like kind of easy to find capital. It's hard to find really talented, like committed people. So if you're a talented, committed person, then that's great. You should get most of the reward for the value you create. And the capital is kind of fungible. So if, if you know, if one investor is like, no, I want 80% of your cred to fund you to work on it. Well, first I, as the benevolent dictator of source cred would just like slap that down. I'd be like, sorry, no. Like, that's not how things work around here. Like, you can't get 80% of someone's cred uh, just for paying them. But I'd also say, hey, person, go and find someone else. Like, anyone in the world could be paying you. And there's all these pools of capital. So just find someone who believes in the work you're doing and get a better deal. And and the big the big difference there is that it's it's open source, right? So if if I'm working at Google and I'm like, you know, I'm like creating a ton of value. I'm like develop. I'm leading this whole project. I should be getting paid better. Google can just be like, eh, sorry, we don't feel like paying you more. And you don't really have other options because you can't, the, the knowledge that you have of how to work on that system is not portable. Like if I'm working on TensorFlow, I can't find anyone else who will pay me to work on TensorFlow because it's kind of like controlled and owned by Google. But if you were getting sponsored by Protocol Labs to work on SourceCred and you didn't like the deal you were getting from Protocol Labs, you could find anyone else and keep on doing your exact same job and creating the same value on SourceCred. And, and no, no company owns your relationship to the project because it's an open source project. It made me think of this sort of meme, I guess. SourceCred is the most efficient way to allocate capital. Because you're definitely right. There's 
WeWork's a perfect example of like there's capital wanting to be allocated, but it's it's not being allocated efficiently. And there's an incredible amount of people with tons of potential and you know so many amazing projects and that sort of thing. But the, there's like that information asymmetry between people not having access to the capital and then capital not having access to the people. And you know that's open source is a perfect example of how you can enable that to sort of flow value in every direction. And, you know, I, I know we talked about in the past too how SourceCred's model of funding itself for the longer term is that if SourceCred can create like X amount of value for projects and each project can have a feedback loop of like even 1% of that value SourceCred gives, then, you know, if SourceCred can help 100 projects with the things that they create, then those 100 projects can feedback a, a tiny portion of that back to source cred and enable source cred to support those projects even more and sort of create this like mesh of like mutual value creation and value feedback loops that you know once you ha- once you just have enough of that like value creation liquidity flowing things can kind of start to become self-sustaining and you know it really is it becomes like you know the the customer user first right where the investor in SourceCred or the funder of SourceCred in the longer term would be the users of SourceCred. And that's really, you know, how it should be, right? It's kind of crazy if you think about it, this idea that, you know, we raise money to build projects from one set of people, and then, but we're trying to create value for another set of people. And then, you know, try to somehow force that value creation back to like pay out the people who gave us value to create those projects when in reality we can blur those lines where like the investor and the consumer is can be the same person and we empower users of source cred to become investors essentially and you know it just really nicely aligns the incentives that way and in a way it's like it's a cryptocurrency where the mining algorithm is like a proof of support or proof of work you know we talk about proof of work in terms of gpu but this for source cred you create more currency or you create more value by contributing real life you know hours and contributions so i think that's that's also another powerful meme potentially this idea that you mine this currency by creating value and there's no pre-mine of investors that took x percent of the project and are you know allocating the capital the capital is just created as people create value that value just flows throughout the system. Yeah, I, th- I really see it as like this like uh, algorithm to allocate capital in an efficient way for decentralized communities, because you know that's that's kind of the the problem you see nowadays within like the DAO space is like we want to be decentralized, but we also need to make decisions on what to do with the money we pull together. And in, right now, it's kind of just been like binary yes-no decisions on fixed amount of capital given to a single person and kind of done in a way where it's like, it, you know, you have to sort of commit to that and then hopefully it works out. So with SourceCred, we can sort of create this mechanism where as long as you create real value, you get rewarded proportional to that and it minimizes human involvement because it, it becomes... In a, in a way, you know, mostly permissionless, where you can come in, create value, 
and you don't have to ask anyone to you know support what you're doing you can kind of just do it and even if it's not tracked right now if you if you are if you feel strongly that your contribution is valuable and it will create value in the longer term when it does you will be rewarded for that and you know essentially it's just like this ultra fair way to distribute value and as long as like everyone can sort of agree that doing it this way even if it's not 100 perfect is much more fair and efficient than doing it any other way that's all that really matters it's not about creating a perfect system but just something that's better than any alternative and we can iterate from there cool i think to tie this off how for anyone listening they want to get involved with source cred what should they do i guess this is your this is your shill time (laughs) guide people to the way well, I would say, you know, we, we've got this how to get involved page on our homepage and the answer is first come to a community call. We have our source cred community calls every Tuesday at 11 Pacific. And you can, you can go to sourcecred.io slash calendar to find the calendar of all of our events, including the community call. And we're just super friendly. So come by community call, say hello, get oriented on the project. We've been having these regular jam sessions where we've got different kind of subjects and we'll We'll just get together and like talk for an hour, hour and a half about whether it's crypto economics, whether it's like, you know, the mission statement and the values, whether it's how to like grow our community. So that's a great way to like get involved and share cool ideas and find stuff to work on. And if you're a developer, we also have a developer team meeting, I believe at noon Pacific every Thursday. And that's another way to come and like figure out what you could work on. But really just check out the source code calendar join the SourceCred Discord at sourcegrid.io slash Discord, and you'll find an invite and say hello, and then just kind of like organically find your way around from there. Awesome. And uh, let's not forget about the the SourceCred X metagame meetup on Monday. Ah, uh, that's right. Yep, that's happening quite the, soon. There'll be a, a link to that in the show notes. I'm super excited to see what we all built together. So, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, this was awesome. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for joining us. See you around. See you soon. See y'all. See ya. Mm-hmm.